Welcome to Sock Talk from Orange Socks, where we discuss topics affecting people with disabilities. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Nebaker. In this episode, I talk about early intervention. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, early intervention is a term used to describe the services and supports that are available to babies and young children with developmental delays and disabilities and their families. It may include speech therapy, physical therapy, and other types of services based on the needs of the child and family. It can have a significant impact on a child's ability to learn new skills and overcome challenges and can increase success in school and life. Programs are available in every state and territory. These publicly funded programs provide services for free or at a reduced cost for any child who is eligible. I wanted to speak with an authority and was thrilled when Dr. Kristen Mancuso, Director of RISE's Early Intervention Services, agreed to join with me today. I asked her to introduce herself and tell a little bit about RISE's services. I am Kristen Mancuso. I am the Executive Director for RISE Early Intervention in Arizona. I have my doctorate in physical therapy, and I decided when I was going in high school, actually, I was an athletic trainer and thought it was kind of cool to help people with injuries and decided I wanted to go into physical therapy. And when I was in physical therapy school, they talked about pediatric physical therapy. I thought, well, I really like kids. I had nannied a lot and I liked the helping people aspect and working with the body and didn't know that I can combine that with pediatrics. And so from the day that I knew that that was a thing, I decided I wanted to be a pediatric physical therapist. And so I have been a pediatric physical therapist for the past 15 years. I have worked in a variety of settings. I've seen children working at a, a level one trauma center, working with children that have suffered severe traumatic brain injuries, working with children that have had brain tumors, working with children that have been hit by a vehicle, working with children that have had a diagnosis of Down syndrome or a seizure disorder. And I also have experience doing home visits and working in early intervention, which is where I found my passion, working with that birth to three population, just such a critical time of development for those children. Really finding that doing home visits, you really support those families in their environments and you're working on things that are important to them. I came on with RISE about 10 years ago actually, working as a physical therapist and I've been in my current role as the executive director for the past seven years. RISE Early Intervention is the largest early intervention agency and provider in the state of Arizona. We have been providing early intervention services since 2008 and we provide services throughout the state in different counties. We're in Maricopa, Pinal, Pima and Santa Cruz counties. We currently provide services to over 2,800 children. We average around 450 new referrals every month. That's new families that either the family, the caretaker, the physician, they've referred the child to the early intervention program to determine if they are potentially eligible for services. I asked Kristen what her operational definition of early intervention is in the state she operates. Early intervention services are services provided to children that are birthed to three years old that those families need additional support working with their child that may have a developmental disability or show developmental delays. So we work together with the family to support them in helping their child throughout their day and helping them meet developmental milestones. Kristen tells who is eligible for the service. 
Early intervention is really a national program. The eligibility criteria would vary from state to state. However, we're looking at children that are birth to three that are demonstrating a developmental delay, whether it's a mild to a significant developmental delay. Those are the children that would be eligible for the program. I ask her, what is an example of a developmental delay? So as a parent or caregiver, you take your child to your pediatrician appointments at regularly scheduled intervals. Children are getting their shots, they're going in for their well checks, they're getting just a general checkup. And at those time periods, the pediatrician will ask, what the child is doing at that particular point in time. And so we're looking for specific developmental milestones. And for example, when a child is walking, we would expect a child to be walking between the ages of 12 to 15 months. And so if you have an 18 month old child that hasn't started walking yet, we would consider that a developmental delay. They haven't met the milestone as we would anticipate. I was wondering if it was dependent on a diagnosis like Down syndrome. Children with Down syndrome do display developmental delays delays. However, children that have developmental delays, many of them don't have a diagnosis and they'll never get a diagnosis. They just need a little extra support with their development. And that's where early intervention comes in. I thought it was interesting because I thought there had to be some specific type of diagnosis attached. And I thought it was great to know that many children can receive these services without a specific diagnosis. When we're looking at eligibility for early intervention services, we really, I mentioned we're looking at birth to three, but we're looking at five major areas of development. So cognition is one of those, also language, their expressive and receptive language, their motor skills, their social emotional skills, and their adaptive or self-help. So this was new information to me, and I wondered who refers parents to early intervention? Does it have to be a physician? Anyone can refer their child to early intervention services. So you could have a daycare provider, a parent, a physician, and when once the child is referred, then they will go through an eligibility process. And so that's where the different requirements for eligibility would come into play. Here in Arizona, it's a significant delay. So that means a 50% delay. So we're looking for children that have not met 50% of the expected milestones by a certain age. So the evaluations are done by the Early Intervention Program to determine where that child is within their development. And if they do demonstrate a delay, how significant of a delay and does that make them eligible for the program? There are a lot of states that their requirement for eligibility is a mild delay. So if a child is showing a mild delay, they would be eligible for services. But the early intervention program, they would be the ones to do the evaluation to determine if the child was eligible. So the referral can essentially come from anywhere, but at least in one state, the state of Arizona, for example, the early intervention provider actually determines eligibility. I did assessments when I was a school psychologist to determine eligibility for special education services. So I was wondering how developmental delays are assessed. All evaluations are done using a standardized tool. And so there are specific tools that have been created to look at different aspects of development for the different disciplines. We're looking at occupational therapist, physical therapist, speech therapist. In Arizona, we do a multidisciplinary evaluation, meaning we have two team members going into the home to assess all five of those areas of development. So again, that's cognition, language, motor, social, emotional, and their self-help. So if you have a delay in one of those areas, you would then qualify for the program. So if a child qualifies for services, 
Who pays for them? So if they qualify, they're eligible for services, and the services are provided by contractors within the state. Every state is different. Some of them are through the Department of Education, some of it's through the Department of Health, and there is federal funding that supports early intervention as well, and that's the IDEA Part C, Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Part C is the governing component of early intervention, and that does provide some of the funding for those services as well. That was really interesting. I was interested why it was birth to three. Birth to three in early intervention, just there's so much development that happens in a child's first three years of their life. And early intervention, just as it states, the earlier the better. We wanna be able to get in to make a difference with the child's development as soon as we're seeing a delay. And that's really the key to success and to help the child meet those milestones that they may not be meeting. They may need a little additional support to meet those milestones. So the sooner we can get in to really work with the child and their family, the better we're going to be. My daughter Vanessa received early intervention services that stopped when she was three, although she could have benefited from a longer span. So I wondered about those children who need services beyond age three. Part of early intervention is transitioning the child out of early intervention because it is only birth to three. And so the transition can look different state to state, but a lot of those children will help transition into a priority preschool or a special education program at the age of three where they can continue to receive services through their school district. Some children may qualify for another Medicaid program depending on the states, or else children could continue to use their private insurance to receive some further therapy interventions as well. Since parents are often the first to suspect an issue, I wondered what a parent should do. If a parent has concerns, they can look to see what their early intervention program is for their state. And generally, most programs have an online referral form on the website, and you can submit a referral to have your child evaluated and to learn more about the program. I wondered what makes a program like this more successful. One of the keys to early intervention really is the family. And when you think about the saying, practice makes perfect, that's practice does make perfect. And there's a lot of research that shows just how many times the brain needs to repeat something before it actually can master it or learn it. And so when we're talking about early intervention, we really are working very closely with the primary caretakers for the children. Because as a therapist coming into the home one time a week, two times a week, we're not going to have a lot of opportunity to practice skills that are really important for development, really capitalizing on this crucial birth to three time period. So as providers, we want to come into the home and really build the capacity of the family, show them how to do some of these strategies because we want to keep practicing over and over the different skills that we're looking at. And there's a lot of naturally occurring opportunities throughout a child's day to practice a certain skill. And as a therapist, we're not going to be there at all of those moments, but the caretaker will be. So we want the caretaker to really understand how to work with the child to help support that development. One key piece to supporting those caretakers is really coaching them. So a lot of our visits, we're not necessarily coming in and doing all of this hands-on treatment and then leaving. We're really showing the families how they can do these skills and tasks when we're not there. And it's not necessarily coming in and creating something new for the family to do, but coming in with our professional education and experience and looking at what the family is doing and just 
modifying a little bit, tweaking it so that they really get the best bang for their buck, if you will, during that time period of really working with their child while they're reading a book. There are a lot of pre-language skills when we talk about communication that can be learned from reading books. And so just showing families what you can do while you're reading a book with your child, while you're driving in the car, things that just don't, we don't think about as parents, but once it's pointed out to us, it makes perfect sense. So really taking advantage of those different opportunities that occur throughout the day. One of the really unique parts about early intervention is no two children are the same. They don't develop the same. Even if they have a, the same diagnosis, they're not the same. And so early intervention is really individualized. And when we're creating a plan to work towards outcomes with the family, we want to make sure that it works for that family. We come in and we meet the family where they are and develop a plan to move forward to work on the outcomes that are important to the family. It's not the outcomes that the therapist want. We talk about developmental delays and milestones, and there's checklists to know when a child should be performing a certain skill. But when we're looking at early intervention, I don't want to come in and say, okay, this is what your child should be doing next. I want you to tell me what you want your child to be doing next. So it's really the family is a crucial part of that and working together with them to identify what's important to them. This is a very critical point. That was exactly the case with my daughter. They showed us how to do the tasks and we practiced them with her. I was curious about the therapists that are used. In early intervention, you could receive services from a physical therapist. And a lot of people often say, what does a physical therapist do with a baby? And really, when we're looking at physical therapy with children in, in early intervention specifically, there's a lot of milestones and components of development that we're working towards. So when we think of physical therapy, we think of mobility. And when we're talking about infants and toddlers, we could be looking at something as you know, simple as head control. Head control is really important for infant development and it's something that a lot of infants can struggle with. If you aren't able to hold up your head, you're not able to explore your environment, you don't see different things. So we're working on some of the strengthening and positioning, rolling, crawling, walking, all of those pieces are something that a physical therapist can help with, just even with different posturing, helping a family learn how to position their child. Occupational therapy, is something that most people would relate to an occupation or a job. And when we're looking at children, what is their job? Their job is to play and looking at their activities of daily living, feeding themselves. Occupational therapy generally will say they work on the upper extremity or the hands. So they're going to be looking at some of those fine motor skills, a child feeding themselves, Another big component to occupational therapy is sensory regulation and regulating the sensory system for a child, being able to understand what their environment means and process through some of the environmental factors, whether it might be loud noise or a tactile defense where they don't like water or they don't like the bath. So working with the family to help their child enjoy bath time. Speech therapist, 
really when we talk about speech we think about language and words but really looking at just communication and some cognition and a lot of our speech therapists will work with families to teach them some sign language just being able to have a child be able to communicate their wants and needs can help with some of that frustration from a child's perspective as they're getting older they can't get their wants or needs addressed they are hungry but they can't tell you what they want to eat so really working with the family to identify routines and then find a way for someone to communicate. A form of communication that not everyone would consider is pointing. You can point to what you would like. And so there's just different ways that speech therapists can work with children to help them be able to communicate. There are other people that are important and play a role in the early intervention services as well. And the title of them kind of varies state to state. They could be an early childhood educator. In Arizona, we call that position a developmental special instructionist. And really that person is going to come in and look at just relationships and play skills. And there's overall support to the family looking at some child development. And then in Arizona, we have a psychologist and social worker as part of our team really looking at all of those Part C services. The list goes on and on. There could be some nutrition component to that. And so just looking at kind of, again, individualizing the services and determining what specialties are needed to support the child and the family and what's important to them. I was curious to hear the awarding parts about her job. I have to say The most rewarding part of my job is really being able to see our teams come together and how we can support the families. We have a team conference where we're able to update on the progress of children as well as get some additional coaching support from our team members if there's an area that we would like to support a family in. For example, if the physical therapist is working with a child but the family has communication concerns, we might talk to the speech therapist about what the child's currently doing, looking for some babbling sounds, some pre-language skills, and really just hearing all the great work that our team is doing and how we're supporting those families. That's probably the most rewarding and just knowing that we are there for those families and able to be by their side when they're going through. When you talk about early intervention, we said birth to three. There are babies that are born that families don't expect them to have a developmental disability or developmental delay and we're able to be there and walk with them through that first little bit of time as they're going through and learning more about a disability or a delay and what it means for them and their child and provide them with tools and resources to support their child's development and meet the outcomes that are important to them. I think as a therapist just you kind of become part of that family when you're working with them when you're in their home and to get those text messages of a video of a baby taking their first steps or of a child communicating with their family just celebrating those milestones with the family because they're so excited to share them with you knowing that you were really just their cheerleader you didn't make it happen you supported that family and showed them what to do with their child and they were able to meet those goals that are important to them She has so many wonderful stories to share about her experiences over the years, but she told me her favorite pieces of early intervention. One of the, my favorite pieces of early intervention is really just seeing how the families become so confident in working with their child. They become the therapist. 
Um, but it's not therapy. They're just playing with their child and watching them become so confident in helping their child develop um, and seeing the, the joy and the satisfaction that they get when their child is able to accomplish a goal. Early intervention is truly a wonderful service. Our family, and especially my daughter Vanessa, benefited from intervention when she was young. RISE's early intervention program is exemplary, and I was so glad to speak with one of the foremost authorities in the nation, Dr. Kristen Mancuso. I learned a lot, and I hope you did too. Thanks for listening to this episode. Orange Socks is an initiative of RISE Incorporated, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting and advocating for people with disabilities. Follow Orange Socks on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, orangesocks.org, for more stories and to find national and local resources to help parents of children with disabilities.